Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. Thank you to our generous underwriters on Sharper Iron, the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. And Luther Classical College, a college for Lutherans by Lutherans, opening in fall 2025. Learn more at lutherclassical.org. On this Friday, February 24th, we are studying John chapter 10, verses 22 to 30. In today's text, Jesus is walking in the colonnade of Solomon in the temple during the Feast of Dedication. In response to a question, Jesus continues to reveal the truth that he is the good shepherd. His sheep hear his voice, and they follow him into his gift of eternal life. Today's episode of Sharper Iron is being broadcast live as a part of the Texas Lutheran Writers Roundup, hosted at Faith Lutheran High School in Central Texas. Both of our guests today are with us this morning in front of a live studio audience there in Warda. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, our first guest is Pastor Mike Newman, who serves as the president of the Texas District of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. President Newman, welcome back to Sharp Iron. Oh, always great to be with you, Paul. And Pastor Dustin Beck is our second guest. He is the pastor at Holy Cross Lutheran Church in Warda, Texas. Pastor Beck, welcome back to Sharp Iron. Pastor Apple, good to be with you. Good morning, gentlemen. You, good morning to our yeah. audience yeah. <laughs> there. Glad to, glad to have everyone with us today to study God's Word. So we are in John chapter 10 this morning. I think a, a familiar text. We hear it on Good Shepherd Sunday some years during the Easter season. As we get started, let's talk a little bit of context. And Pastor Beck, knowing that, that you've been teaching some New Testament there at Faith Lutheran High School this year, uh, help, us, help us to understand what's going on in John's gospel. What, what should we know as we prepare to look at this text from John 10? Sure. So uh, when we get started in this text, of course, anytime that I see John 10, I'm thinking Good Shepherd Sunday. Uh, that is the bulk majority of the chapter. Uh, but it's a good thing to always sort of um, widen our focus a little bit to see where we're coming from and, and what brought us to this place. Um, and so even before we were in John 10, uh, we had um, a series of discourses and a series of signs uh, that Jesus does throughout the gospel. Uh, and through these, he manifests his glory, um, as we hear in John chapter 2 at the wedding at Cana, and his disciples believe in him. He does the signs. He has the discourses. Um, he also has a handful of, of thematic sort of sayings where he says, I am. I am the bread of life. I am the good shepherd. Uh, we're all familiar with a lot of these. So as we go through and as we get closer to this, you'll see that this is um, the sixth major discourse. Um, Jesus only has, uh, excuse me, this is the seventh major discourse. Uh, and this is in between the sixth and the seventh sign. Uh, he has, in the previous chapter, healed the man born blind. There's one more sign left in Jesus's ministry, and that is that he's going to raise up Lazarus. So this is sort of an in-between time, uh, but very important teaching. Uh, we never uh, take a transitional text like this uh, lightly, especially when it's got such wonderful, rich theology in it. So uh, does that kind of help to get us started, maybe? It does. Uh, President Newman, talk to us a little bit about this image of the Good Shepherd that we've been hearing about in John chapter 10. It's one of the most beloved, I think, among Christians. Uh, tell us about the importance of understanding that Jesus is our Good Shepherd. Yeah, first of all, isn't it great that Jesus uses 
terminology and a picture that's so relatable to the people then too. Very agriculture. Here I am in Warda, Texas, and Pastor Beck has his chickens across the street. So there's a little more familiarity. I didn't even tell you we have rabbits too. Rabbits too. Yeah. Wow. My, and you know, my daughter has chickens and cows. And so when you're in the agricultural setting here, Jesus is speaking the language of the people. Mm. And it just shows how uh, this incarnate word is truly dwelling among his people, how he cares for us, how he loves us and communicates the gospel in such understandable terms. People could really get it. We're a little, some of us tend to be farther removed from an agricultural mm. setting. Uh, but when G, I think we've been, uh, we've heard about, uh, you know, Jesus speaking about the shepherd. We understand a sheep and shepherd, the closeness of the shepherd to his flock. We've heard Jesus talk about the, uh, the shepherd who went to get the lost sheep. And so this is just a great way of Jesus expressing how he loves us, feeds us, cares for us. We are his precious possession. And uh, I think so, you know, Psalm 23, of course, comes to mind and just great other scriptural types of allusions to this. So, yeah, I think this is a uh, when you think of a lamb and being Jesus, little lamb, as the song says, mm. it illustrates the grace and love of Christ in a beautiful way. Yeah, it's it's one of the most comforting images, I think, in all the scriptures, and one that certainly has been beloved by Christians in their art throughout the ages. I can remember a, a window there at Grace in, in Smithville that has Jesus as the good shepherd carrying his little lambs. I am Jesus, little lamb, a very comforting statement. Now, before we leave the context, it, I think it's worth remembering that Within these discourses, as Pastor Beck, you were talking about, there's been conflict between Jesus and those to whom he's speaking. And that's there in John chapter 10 as well. We're going to get a hint of that conflict in today's text. But if you go back into the end of chapter 9, Jesus has been talking now to some Pharisees who didn't like the fact that he had healed that man who'd born blind. They weren't sure really who he was. They really didn't buy who he's he's been saying he is. So that conflict is is inherent in it, which is maybe a little bit strange for us to think about this is a comforting text to us as Christians, but it's in the context of that conflict. Can, can you talk a little bit, Pastor Beck, about the conflict that Jesus has been having with the various people that have been listening to him? Well, this actually goes all the way back to the first chapter. I mean, all the way back in the introduction to the gospel, uh, you have, he came to his own and his own did not receive him. Um, you, you've even got uh, when John the Baptist is uh, beginning his ministry. Uh, remember, the Pharisees had sent uh, some people to ask uh, to basically interrogate John and just say, you know, why are you baptizing? Are you the Christ? And he confessed and did not deny, but he confessed, I am not the Christ. And they go, well, are, are you Elijah? Are you one of the prophets? And he kept denying it. And they said, well, who sent you? I mean, there has been animosity uh, between uh by and large, uh, a bulk majority, I guess, of the Jews um, against Jesus and against his whole mission program. And so that has sort of built. Now, that's not to say that there haven't been uh, a number of individuals who have come to faith, right? Uh, Jesus's ministry uh, in the Gospels is primarily uh, among the Jews. Uh, but then you also have these groups that sort of, they flock to Jesus. And then like in John 6 and John 8, he says something that they can't quite 
they can't quite stomach. You know, he says, my, mm. my, uh, my flesh is, you know, my, uh, the bread that I will give is, is true flesh. You know, it, it is my body and everything. And they're like, this is a hard saying. And so a lot of them quit following him. And then, uh, to the Jews that had believed him in John eight, remember, he says, you'll know the truth. If you're, uh, if you abide in my word, you'll know the truth. The truth will set you free. And they're like, we've never been slaves to anybody. Uh, I, you guys studied that just a couple of weeks back. Right. And, uh, so in these instances, you have these large swaths of the Jewish people that are actually leaving Jesus. Um, and so you see this building animosity, this tension that's sort of on the rise uh, as you go through the, uh, through the gospel. Um, and that's going to be a major theme here. Um, Jesus came for the whole world, of which the Jews are certainly a part of that. Um, but again, he came to his own, and by and large, his own rejected him. They didn't want anything to do with him. Yeah. Yeah, it's it is it's rather tragic to see throughout the gospel, and we're going to see it again in today's text, and especially in the one that'll come up on Monday. The reaction to what Jesus says here is going to be more more animosity, more unbelief. Yet Jesus continues to speak the truth as our good shepherd. Let's go ahead and read the text. We are in John chapter ten, beginning at verse twenty-two this morning. At that time, the feast of dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. But you do not believe, because you are not part of my flock. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. That is our text for today. That's John 10, verses 22 to 30. So we start off in this text, and John the Evangelist gives us the setting. He says it was the Feast of Dedication. Pastor Beck, where in the Old Testament can you find the Feast of Dedication? Uh, you really have to read between the lines to find it. <laughs> I don't know that. I don't know that it's in the Old Testament, is it? No, it's not. It's, it's not. not. This okay. is a this we, is a new to, feast. Yeah. So let go ahead, y'all. Y'all get get us started. Talk about the feast of dedication for us, President Newman. You want to you want to get us started? Well, good old uh, festival of lights, right? Yeah, Hanukkah. So I know. Was, what what one sixty seven ish BC or yeah something like yeah that. intertestamental times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's good stuff. Right. And. Uh, commemorating the rededication of the temple after it was desecrated by uh, one of the conquerors. And so this is something new that came up for the Jews. Right. And so this was, uh, at least in my, in my research leading up to today, this is uh, when um, the Maccabeans, right, uh, the whole Maccabean revolt against uh, the Greeks and everything. So they had... Uh, uh, some pagans had come into the temple. Um, um, the guy's name is uh, Antiochus Epiphanes, uh, in case anybody ever needs that for a crossword. Uh, but uh, so this guy comes in uh, and he desecrates the temple by forcing Jewish priests to participate in the sacrifice of, uh, first of all, the worship of Zeus, but then also the sacrifice of, of a pig, an unclean animal right there in the temple, uh, which is just blasphemy. Um, so the Maccabean revolt, uh, revolt comes about. Uh, they overthrow, or at least they drive them back a little bit, and then they reconsecrate the temple by offering a right sacrifice, uh, which, I mean, isn't that just a rich theme when we think about John 10? Uh, what does the good shepherd do? How does he love his sheep? He 
He lays down his life for the sheep. Yeah, he takes it up again so that he can be with them forever. But we sort of have this, this thematic, like we have in much of John's gospel, this thematic image of this is what a right sacrifice looks like, uh, is that Jesus is going to offer himself up. So, yeah, um, President Newman, I, I don't know if I'm allowed to ask the questions on this show. but Go ahead. <laughs> I'll allow it. A question that just popped into my head is, um, in terms of the, the reading of the whole Gospel of John, right, um, John seems to be sort of picky about, there are certain times when he gives us these very definite time markers, you know, um, he'll say, after three days, and you're like, oh, okay, we're getting some sequencing. But then John does some weird stuff. Like, I mean, I, I remember I was on uh, very early in the book of John uh, with Sharper Iron when we were in the uh, temple cleansing in John 2 which in the synoptic gospels takes place during Holy Week. So either Jesus was the guy that just came around every year at Passover and overturned tables, or John isn't telling it necessarily in the sequential kind of first, second, third order that we would. So what do you, like, you're more, more studied than I am in this. What do you make of this, the Feast of Dedication is at hand? Um, is, this, is this specifically in John 10? that, you know, we're, we're now here, here's the next thing. We, if you go back to John 7 was the last time we heard about a time marker, um, and that's the uh, Feast of Booths, I believe, which would have been in the fall. Exactly. It appears that John is saying Jesus went away for a couple of months, and here he kept coming back, which, yeah. again, you have the broader picture of John's message in contrast to the Synoptic Gospels, sure. clearly. You know, you mentioned the signs and the, the IMs and these discourses. So, uh, John is really showing people that Jesus Christ is truly the Messiah. He, uh, I think John was a disciple of John the Baptist. You know, here's this common fisherman, sure. John the disciple. Right. And he has this beautiful language, this insight to the scripture, uh, this prophetic tone in a way. And I think John's kind of telling his story as well, that he was following John the Baptist and how he saw Jesus and all the testimonies you see there, you know, baptism of Jesus and everything, uh, that he also sees Jesus as truly the Messiah. And of course, that's punctuated later in the gospel too. But here we have Jesus coming back. So it is interesting, the time markers. I wonder if this one, because it is kind of close to the past one, is just showing us the persistence of the Savior who set his face toward Jerusalem and also mm. the persistence of the Savior for us, for our lives, that he keeps coming back, even in a charged environment that you noted right. with all the opposition, the church people, the leaders against him. Here he walks into the temple. Uh, it's a key time. It's a festival. It's where people are. It's where he'll be seen. And even as we get to uh, even though the opposition rises up in a kind of an ugly way, Jesus, the Savior, comes back. He's persistent seeking. The shepherd is persistent in seeking his sheep. You could almost say maybe that he's he's ready to preach the word in season and out of season. Like okay, whether go. it's feast of booths, whether it's you know feast of dedication. I mean, it's I, I don't know. Does it get cold? Does it get cold during the winter? You know, it can. Yeah, yeah. I think so. Mm -hmm. and, and that's one of the reasons why they say perhhaps he was walking in the colonnade of Solomon. I mean, kind of a oh, twofold okay. thing. One here we have the original part of the temple, but the sure. other thing, a little bit of shelter right. from some okay. of the cold, <laughs> you know, breezes. That, that makes good on. sense. Yeah. That makes good sense. One of the commentaries that I had looked at said that um, they suggested that this may have actually just been spoken in the larger context of John 10. So this might have just been 
you know, John 10 is that, that sermon that he delivers. Um, and then for some reason, verse 22, uh, John just kind of the, the narrator, as he does frequently in his gospel, he sort of just pauses for a minute and says, no, the feast of the dedication was taking place in Jerusalem at this time, you know, as kind of just, here's a little bit more information that might factor into what's about to happen. It could very well be. And it's yeah. interesting because John shows Jesus making these critical pronouncements during key times oh, yeah. in the people's lives and maybe heightened attentiveness of the listeners too. You would certainly hope so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And in, in a little bit of the reading that I did ahead of time, I was in one of the commentaries I read, it pointed me to the Apocrypha, which I had not picked up before for this. I don't know that I've ever read the Apocrypha for the purposes of sharper iron before, but in the book of second Maccabees <laughs> chapter 10, this is, I think a first on sharper iron for me to read from the Apocrypha. In Second in Maccabees 10, there is this, I think, an interesting note when you put it in the context of John's gospel. They celebrated this feast for eight days with rejoicing in the manner of the Feast of Booths. So uh, apparently, within the context of the Feast of, of Dedication, Hanukkah, there was a connection to the Feast of Booths, which is that same context that John's been in for quite some time, all the way back in, as you already said, chapter 7, 8, 9. So I don't know, I'm not sure what to make of that, but just this extended context where the feasts that are happening there in Jerusalem, Jesus is there, even if he's not, he's not escalating things because his hour is not there. Yet at the same time, as both of you have been rightly saying, he is preaching the word. He wants his sheep to hear his voice, and he's going to speak that voice there in Jerusalem so that his sheep can hear it. And I wonder, without going down too much of a rabbit hole, since we're only in the first verse of our study this morning, um, I wonder if this also maybe gives the church permission to add feasts and festivals as the church deems necessary mm. or appropriate. Well, you know, just koinonia, right? And fellowship and yeah. recognition of key events. And whether it's Abraham setting up his piles of stones sure. as memorials to what the Lord has done. So definitely fitting because again, these, these feasts and festivals tell the story. They help bring the story of God's active work among his people. So as long as we don't get confused at worshiping the calendar or the course, ritual course, or, yeah. you know, uh, having to do it because we have to do it. But if, if it's because we're being brought back to the story. That's powerful. And I, and I love the fact that this is, this is extra biblical. I mean, at least in the sense that it's from the intertestamental, uh, the Apocrypha, you know, we have this as, you know, Jesus was there for the feast of dedication too. And he wasn't saying this wasn't command, you know, I'm, I'm here to fulfill the, the law and the prophets, not Maccabees. Yeah. I, he yeah. doesn't quite go there. So, He's walking in the traditions of the people, right? Hey, yeah. This is part of the culture. So let's get in there. Traditions are useful insofar as they're uh, beneficial to teach. I love it. Well, How about Wendishfest? You think he's Windish <laughs> Windish Fest. Fest. I yeah. bet Jesus Maybe. would have been there. Could be. I bet he would. No doubt. <laughs> Just oh. the, the way that he is there in the temple. And as you, you were reminding us, Pastor Beck, of the, the context of the rededication of the temple, you know, to think about the way, if you go back to John chapter 2, how Jesus has set himself up as the new temple. He is the one where the word dwells among us. He is the, the one, the temple that will be destroyed, but he will raise it up again in three days. So again, to be at the temple during this feast of dedication, 
perhaps is another hint of that same theme that Jesus has come as the new place where God dwells among us. He's not going to dwell among us in a building anymore, but rather in the flesh of this one, his son, Jesus Christ. So I, perhaps another connection we could make here. I have two yeah. guests, so I don't know which one to talk to next. I just talked to both of us at the same time. Go, go ahead, Pastor Beck. Would you like to respond I, to that or would you like to keep moving? I'd like to keep moving. Hey, I want to, how about it was winter? I mean, before you move sure. off of verse one, it just yeah. is reminiscent. John's use of language here, we have such a, a simple gospel in terms of the language. You yeah. know, if you read the Greek language, it's just very simple, very easy to move through, but so profound later in, in John 13, you know, it, when, when uh, John says it was night, you know, as Jesus is moving mm -hmm. out toward the garden. And here we have, it was winter. So on one hand, it's a weather descriptor, but there may be a little bit more there as well, just with a little foreboding, a little bit of the coldness of right. the church. And, and it really introduces, I think, a dynamic that we can dig into too, and talk about how good we are as church people at being cynical, skeptical, uh, mm. perhaps critical of one another. And this is what Jesus has been encountering through all this exactly. time. You know, this is church people to church people. What's happening here? What's the relationship like? And what can we take from it? So what a chilling introductory mm -hmm. statement to what's going to be happening. Mm -hmm. So it's winter. Jesus is walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. Pa President Newman, I think you said that perhaps he's walking in the colonnade of Solomon because it would have been a little bit more sheltered from the weather. Is there any other significance to the colonnade of, of Solomon that either of you discovered in your research? Well, isn't it the only remaining piece of the temple uh, from Nebuchadnezzar's destruction, I think? Yeah, I so this so. is kind of an original right. portion, which is really sacred and quite... And and it seems it seems to me, um, especially when you look back at like Ezra and Nehemiah, um, as they're rebuilding, you know, re re repairing the temple and the wall around Jerusalem and everything. You remember the uh, sort of the people's emotion about it? It's just like, oh, this is it. Like we thought it was going to be glorious, like it was before, and it's been robbed of its glory. It's been robbed of its 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 splendor. Um, and, and when they rebuild, you know, when they build it as the second temple and everything else, I mean, it's just it's never quite the same. And even Herod the Great's temple, I mean, it's it's huge and everything else, but they're still maybe hanging on to this one little piece of archaeological history from you know, hundreds and hundreds of years before that this is, this is the original, this is the best. So I think this was a place uh, in some of my reading, it said that uh, this was a place that the rabbis would regularly go to teach. This was um, a place for instruction. And so maybe that's one of the reasons that they're going to ask Jesus a question here. Rabbi, we've got a question. Yeah, good point. And, and this, your, your point about Temple 2.0 and the mood, I think is really a good one because, it, you know, here are people who are just trying to hang on to the past. They're we trying that to tendency, don't we? live in that glory, right? The yeah. glory of the past. And here we have plain old Jesus. How could he ever even be the Messiah? Mm. And the teachers of the law and the Pharisees being so blind that they don't, and I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves, but these miraculous signs, these works, uh, they can't even see it. They don't want to see it. They're living in the past in that glory. And I think uh, you and I could easily fall into the trap of thinking so much of the glory of the past that we miss what God is doing right in front of our eyes. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, um, these are these are common temptations. Uh, and he's he's in the, at the end of chapter nine. You know, he's already told the, the Pharisees and the scribes that you guys are blind. And the problem isn't 
seeing. The problem is that you don't have the eyes of faith. And, and the bigger problem is that you say, we see. Yes, no, you are absolutely blind if you're saying, we see, when Jesus is standing right in front of you and you don't see that he's the Son of God. Yeah, essentially they were saying, hey, I liked what God did with sinners in the past. I don't like what he, <laughs> how he's dealing with our contemporary sinners, you know, this yeah. blind guy, and he's not even worthy, and how right. can that be? Yeah, where's the smiting? Where's all the stuff <laughs> like that? We like the, we like the old God. <laughs> President Newman, you, you talked about the cynicism of the, of the crowd. Is that what you see there in their question in verse 24? How long will you keep us in suspense if you are the Christ? Tell us plainly. Yeah, and, you know, really when they gathered around him and that word, uh, the Greek word there, it may be where we get cloaking or something, isn't it? It may mm. be. It's this this hovering, covering, surrounding, smothering, mobbing kind of thing. Oh, yeah. And so I think that sets the mood of the question as they mob Jesus and confront him. And then uh, even the colloquialism there about, you know, lifting up our souls or just leaving us hanging, our yeah. very lives hanging here. Um, gosh, it's a question of desperation, of cynicism, of defensiveness as well, of attack. And how often, you know, we can look around the world and see the work of the Holy Spirit, the work of God, wherever it may be. And it's tempting for us as church leaders to look and say, well, wait a minute. That can't be true. Wait, it's got to be fake or they got to be, uh, you know, putting us on or uh, we just tend to look perhaps in doubt the very works of God ourselves. Yeah. the You mentioned the um, sort of the, the colloquialism or the idiom that they, they give. The ESV renders this. How long will you keep us in suspense? Hmm. The Greek is until when will you lift up our souls or will you hold up our lives? Jesus, how long are you going to hold up our lives before we can figure out whether you're the Messiah or not? How long are you going to hold us up in all of this? I Thank you for reminding me to check my Greek right there, President yeah, Newman. Yeah, you're getting in our way. You're stopping our agenda. Yeah. It reminds me when Jesus said to Peter, get behind me. Yeah. Not, you know, in other words, don't get out in front of me and have in mind the things of men. Right. Here's something God is doing, but these people they said hey you're getting in our way jesus you're hanging us up <laughs> keep us in mm. suspense yeah. mm. well that the way that it puts that there in the greek reminds me of a few things we've talked about previously on trip iron that when it comes to jesus you know, you have to do something with him you don't you can't just sort of like hear him like oh that's nice and then go on your merry way right these people recognize it, at least they recognize that jesus has something that they have to respond to in one way or another and although they certainly seem opposed to him here, they want they want to know and they want to know how they need to respond, even though it's going to be opposition. Right. They, they have that recognition that sometimes seems absent in our world today, that you have to respond to Jesus one way or another. You don't get to just sort of blow him off as if he's nobody. Yeah, that's a great point. And unfortunately, these days, that day of reckoning or time of reckoning is mm. postponed sometimes until the moment of a person's last breath or when they're right. faced with death. And maybe not even then because we anesthetize people to that. I will say though, that with COVID and uh, all of the difficulties, the challenges, all the anxiety that's come with that, I think people have been forced a little bit to look at their own, not only mortality, but vulnerability. 
and perhaps ask questions, deeper questions about life, maybe, and this is where the church comes in and our outreach, maybe this is where we have an opportune time for to bring people to see Jesus and to have them ask that question, you know, yeah. I've got to, yeah, I've so, got to a- answer the question. What does he mean? Life and death brings yeah. up big questions. It does. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So where the people maybe aren't asking the questions, the church can put it to them. Consider Christ. What, what will you do with him? Will you hear him as one of his sheep? Will you reject him? Which will it be? So that is the question that's going to be coming before Jesus. Who are you? Tell us plainly if you are the Christ. We're going to look at his answer on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron on KFUO. We're talking to President Mike Newman and Pastor Dustin Beck this morning about John chapter 10. We will be right back. Please stick around. Did you know that Lutherans are helping new American immigrants get settled? How about struggling church workers in need of support and refreshment? And we assist at-risk children and provide disaster response to hurricane victims. Through LCMS recognized service organizations, we are doing all this and more. I'm Rahema Kavuga of Lutheran Church Extension Fund, and I don't want you to miss out on hearing what your brothers and sisters in Christ are up to. Visit interesttime.org to see how your support gives life to these works of mercy and love. What do you think of when you hear the word college? Expensive? Liberal? Woke? Imagine a college that is affordable. A college that is unapologetically conservative and Lutheran. A college that won't take a dime of federal funding. A college that teaches the best of our Western heritage. A college where students grow in the Christian faith instead of leaving it behind. This is Luther Classical College. A college by Lutherans and for Lutherans. Visit our website, lutherclassical.org. Subscribe, become a patron, and join the thousands who are making Luther Classical College a reality. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Friday, February 24th. We are studying John chapter 10, verses 22 to 30 this morning with President Mike Newman of the Texas District of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, and Pastor Dustin Beck, the pastor at Holy Cross Lutheran Church in Warda, Texas. Gentlemen, prior to the break, we were looking at the question that is asked of Jesus in verse 24. How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. The rest of our text for today is Jesus' answer. He begins in verse 25. I told you, and you do not believe. And then he points to his works in the rest of the, the verse. So, Pastor Beck, talk about how Jesus' answer begins here. He says he's, he's already told them, but they don't believe they should pay attention to his works. What's, what's the point he make, he's making? Well, first of all, he makes the point that he's been telling them for the entirety of his public ministry. I mean, especially, you know, uh, we have four different Gospels, and it's the same Jesus in each one. But you see a different side of Jesus, a different portrayal of Jesus um, as each uh, gospel uh, writer, you know, uh, uh, gives us a, a picture of him and, and expresses him in different ways. And in John's gospel, Jesus is not hiding this. He's not trying to trick anybody. He's not trying to, you know, keep things uh, like, like he will in, for instance, uh, in, in Mark's gospel, where he's like, you know, no. Don't tell it. Don't tell people that I'm the son of, of God, you know, um, and everything like that. And John, I mean, it is out there plain for everyone to see. He's been saying this all along. Uh, and like we said at the beginning of the broadcast, you know, the fact that Jesus is not only his words, but also his works he calls them his signs in John's gospel. The signs are all like you know, big road signs that are pointing to Jesus saying this one's the son of God believe in him. So he says, 
you know, the works that I do, they're, they testify to me. They bear witness about me. And also, I love the fact that he says the works that I do in my father's name. Hmm. It's like Jesus is winding up for the pitch. Okay. The pitch is going to be, um, I and the father are one. That's where we're going. That's the last verse of our text today, but this is the wind up. And so he's demonstrating here that the works that he does, they're not just the works that he decides to do. It's not like he said one day, you know, I feel bad for this guy that's born blind. There's all these other sick people right here around the pool of Siloam, but that one, I think I'll heal him. You know, it is the father's will and he has sent Jesus for that man born blind um, and for every other sign that Jesus does. Um, and so when Jesus does these signs, they, they point to who he is because that's what the father wants. You know, he also is rooting this in the scriptures and the scriptures that these critics yeah. know. Uh-huh. And so it's the blind will see the deaf will hear the lame will walk. Right. And here we go. I've made it very clear when they ask him to tell uh, them plainly, the word is for boldness. It's the same word used by St. Paul to say, no, pray that I may preach this message boldly. It's a, it's an outward boldness, and Jesus comes across very boldly. I told you. Uh, one commentator said that his response was to help diffuse the accusations or the punishment you know, that they wanted to levy regarding blasphemy, pick up the stones and start throwing them. Right. And so he was able to say, hey, I told you already. I mean, it's, it's out there already. It is plain. And here, I think this is just so interesting that Jesus— refers not to words or proclamation, but to signs. Sometimes we're hesitant to say, hey, uh, you know, look for the signs that God is, you know, giving us and placing before us. Well, isn't that the, isn't that the Jews whole thing is show us another sign so that we'll believe. Exactly. And then Paul talks about it. Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. Well, that's, that's where John's getting to. And it (laughs) reminds me, it's like the rich man and Lazarus parable where the, the rich man wouldn't even believe it if someone rose from, from, you know, the, his brothers wouldn't believe it if someone rose from that. The signs are not convincing them or getting through the blindness. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And this, this yeah. also reminds me, um, back in John chapter five, Jesus says the testimony that I have is greater than that of John the Baptist, the works that the father has given me to accomplish the very works I am doing. They bear witness about me that the father is the one who sent me, uh, the father who sent me, he has himself borne witness concerning me, his voice. You have never heard. We'll hear that in a couple of chapters. Yeah, and there you have, too, the clincher of bearing witness. So you have the signs, oh, yeah. you have the Father, you have a testimony that it can't be testifies. refuted. So he's making the case, and he's trying to get through to these church leaders. It's almost like these things in John are written so that we may believe that Jesus <laughs> is the Christ, the Son of God. That's I don't know where I got that, right? But in John 5, that's where Jesus says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is they that bear witness about me. So there's uh, President Newman, like you said, there are all of these witnesses that are pointing to Jesus, the signs, the words, the law and the prophets. Everything is pointing right to Jesus saying he's the son of God. Yeah. And getting around it. And, you know, it's important for us, I think, to step back and understand that this is not just Jesus playing around with the Pharisees, the church leaders. He really is trying to reach them. He's trying to yeah. see the scales fall from their eyes by reminding them of who he is and what he's been doing. It's also, I think, a message that gets into our hearts because we have to repent of our own blindness. Here we are in the season of Lent. We need to fall before the feet of Jesus and say, how many times have we also questioned you, questioned your faithfulness, denied you, or by our works, denied your works. 
this is a real convicting statement of Jesus for each of us as well as we walk in this world and even are hesitant sometimes to share Christ with others or to pray publicly or to bear witness to him. I think it gets even more convicting in the next verse. I mean, as this text unfolds, we're going to have, um, we're going to have some words of Jesus that are just, I mean, he's talking to people who are on the outside, mm. which that's just, that's gotta be such a difficult thing for the son of God who uh, has mercy and compassion for all to be talking to these people that want nothing to do with it. And, and what a shocker for those who hear the, the flock, the children of Abraham, yeah. the, the rightful lineage when Jesus is saying, but you're not of my flock. Wow. Yeah. Whoa. Ooh, heartbreak. Yeah. That's mm. bold. So Pastor Beck, talk more about the next verse where Jesus does identify that the ones listening to him right at that moment, they are not a part of his flock. Yeah, you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. So when we hear those words, um, my mind goes, I, I don't know, this is this is one of the parables of Jesus that sort of, it's not in John's gospel, but it sort of just, it rings in my head um, a lot, right? The parable in Matthew 25 of the the sheep and the goats. Uh, when Jesus, you know, when the Son of Man comes in his glory, he will divide all peoples as a shepherd would divide sheep from goats. Um, and of course, that that parable continues to unfold. And you've got the sheep who were just surprised for joy uh, at the fact that, you know, wow, we, we loved you. We, we were thinking that we were, you know, just dirty, rotten sinners all this time. <laughs> no, no, no. You know, you're, you're the sheep of my pasture. Um, and then you've got the other people, the, sh the goats on the other side, um, and they they can't think of a time when they didn't see Jesus and love him. And he says, no, you're, you're goats. You're, you're on the outside looking in. You're not part of my flock. And then he says, as evidence of this, when I was hungry and naked, you didn't feed and clothe me. When I, when I was in prison, when I was lonely, you didn't come visit me. And you didn't do this to the least of these, my brothers. Um, so that maybe that's going too far afield here. Uh, but I, I think that it is important to see in verse 26, this accusation, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. You, um, it, it's, it's like that, um, pastor Apple, I know we've talked about this before. It's not, um, uh, in terms of righteousness and everything. Um, how did Forrest Gump put it? Forrest Gump said, stupid is as stupid does. Yes. Right. But it's not righteous is as righteous does. You got to mm. flip it and turn it on. It said righteous does as righteous is. Right. Yeah. And so sheep do as sheep are. Oh, that was a terrible sentence. Nicely done. <laughs> that's, that's really good. I didn't get spinned up and, and fall out of my chair. That would have been bad. <laughs> but, but so he says to, to you, you do not believe you are not among my sheep. But then in the next couple of verses, I'm not trying to push us ahead. So if there's material we want to talk about here, that's fine and good. But he says, my sheep hear my voice. I know them. They follow me. Do you see how he's no longer talking to you? Now he's talking about my sheep, them, they. I mean, that's just, like I said, that's got, that gives me chills just, just thinking about Jesus having the hard task of talking to these people who are on the outside of the faith. President Newman, to your point, you know, begging them to come in, begging them to hear mm -hmm. the word, begging to, them to, to be the, the sheep of his pasture. But these yeah. are harsh words. And there may be people who hear Jesus' initial pronouncement that you guys don't believe in me because you're not from the flock. You're not, oh, you're sure. not from this. And there are people who are saying, well, wow, how can I be sure I am right. in the flock? How can I know that 
Christ has redeemed me and called me by name. How can I know that I'm one of his sheep, you know, of this good shepherd? And Jesus leads right into it. I mean, he, he doesn't leave them hanging in doubt uh, in terms of being outsiders, nor does he leave us in that way. But he moves into verse 27 to say, hey, this is this is what it means to be my sheep. Right. And he just unfolds a beautiful flow of assurance and grace in those words, you know, that this is his work, the father's work, and uh, he's embracing us. And, and I think um, one of the things I was up late thinking about this text last night and verse 27 is so instructive for us as Christians. My sheep hear my voice. Hmm. My sheep, they, you know, they're in the place where my voice echoes and resounds forth. Um, I don't think that this text is necessarily about going to church even though it's at the Feast of Dedication when they would go to church for eight days, um, even though we've got all—sorry, that I, minor digression. <laughs> Are you having but, services every day of Holy Week this year, Pastor Beck? Maybe we'll have two. I haven't decided yet. <laughs> eight one days, Palm Sunday to Easter. One of our organists is here, and she's shaking her head. No, we're not going to do that. <laughs> oh, goodness. Uh, my sheep hear my voice, right? And so maybe some some encouragement— you know, if you're uh, driving to work this morning and you hear these words and you're like, you know, you are not my sheep, you know, you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. And somebody says, well, I just want to be a sheep. That's a, that's from VBS. VBS yes, yes, yes. Um, how do I get to be one of Jesus's sheep? He says, my sheep hear my voice. So maybe that's encouragement for, for you, dear listener. If you're in a place where you're kind of in that I don't know if we can say on the fence because we already said there's no neutral ground for Jesus. It's either you're alive or you're dead. Um, if you're in that place where you might, you know, need to check your pulse to make sure that you're alive, go to the place where the sheep hear the shepherd's voice. Be gathered together as the people of God where his word is proclaimed, because that's a beautiful feature of, of the program here is that Jesus, he speaks to us through his word. Yeah, and what does Jesus' voice say? I mean, go back yeah. to John 3, for God so loved the world that he oh. gave his one and only son. Um, Jesus, he did not come to condemn the world, you know, but to save the world. Uh, what does his voice say? That he loves us. He's called us friends. Uh, this is part of hearing, and, you know, that akuo, that hearing is not just auditory, not right. just hearing in the ears, but it's heeding and listening and internalizing and obeying and following and being drawn in. So we receive the voice of Jesus, and it works in us, and we then, of course, follow him. We trust him. We follow in his steps as he leads us. Uh, the first voice of Jesus is the voice of salvation, of forgiveness, mm. of rescue from sin, and then he unfolds a beautiful life for us to live as well, life mm. in its fullness, right? We heard that earlier. Yeah, I appreciate that distinction uh, greatly. Um not just uh, can you hear me, but are you listening to me? As a as a father of young children, Pastor Apple, I know you uh, probably experience this occasionally as well. Um, are you listening to me? Yeah, I heard you. Yeah. Are you listening, or did you just hear me? That's yeah, right. There's an active component to this type of listening. And that's, again, Old Testament scriptures ringing in the oh, ears yeah. of the listeners there. Wow, that's right. This is what God has called us to do. Oh, yeah. Be people of the Word. Yeah.
Yeah. Yeah. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Throughout the book of Deuteronomy, the command to listen is, is so important. And continuing with Jesus, listen to his words, listen to his voice and follow his voice into what he gives. So President Newman, you were talking about the fullness of Jesus' life, as he said earlier in this chapter, that he came to give us life and have it to the full. Here he makes it plain what that full life ultimately is. It's eternal life that cannot be taken away. Talk about the comfort there in verse 28. Oh, just fantastic. And I, and I have to say, in addition to the comfort and gifts, let me just chime in. They hear my voice. I know them, Jesus said. Now talk about a power-packed fullness of God's yeah. love-embracing word for the listeners. I mean, he's bringing it back, uh, this intimate oneness, mm -hmm. this outreach, this desire, this marriage kind of motif coming in. Uh, he knows his people and he knows his sheep. They are totally and fully embraced. And what does he pour into their lives that, as you said, Pastor Apple, verse 28, I give them eternal life. They will never perish. We come back to John 3, this strand, this mission, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. And so in other words, when hunting season is happening, when the devil's prowling around like a roaring lion, the harpazo, when he's throwing that harpoon to try to get us and pull us away from God, that won't happen because of this wonderful, selfless gift of grace and love and the life that Jesus gives. Yeah, I was thinking, um, I was thinking about this, this snatch them away kind of, I, this, just the picture that that brings. And, and I feel like for most folks that where this actually comes into sharp focus is when death draws near, right? Yeah. Because death seems to be, um, seems to be the enemy that we experience, um, in terms of, you know, with, with family members or, you know, serving as a pastor at a church with, with parishioners and everything like that. And death sure does seem to snatch people away, doesn't it? But Jesus is, is very clear here. Um, he says, no one can snatch them out of my hand. And that includes the devil in hunting season. I like that. Well, I'll tell you, yeah, because really you think of the fiery darts, right? So this, this verb for snatch is like a harpooning. Yeah. And it's, it's the fiery darts of Satan. And in addition to death, the specter of death, we're living in an age, here we are at Faith Lutheran High School, we're living in an age of anxiety. One of the greatest issues facing young people today, and I just saw a survey about uh, young girls who a high percentage of them experience this severe anxiety, yeah, and even that, to the point of despairing of their own lives. Right. The devil is throwing those darts, throwing those harpoons all the time. And what answer can the world give? I mean, comparison through social media, look better, do better, be better, uh, get some more material things. Uh, what answer can the world give? Nothing. And here we have Jesus giving himself and the church entrusted with the gift of the Savior Jesus saying, hey, guess what? All those harpoons, all those darts, Satan can't snatch you out of my hand. Uh, anxiety can't snatch you out of my hand. Uh, the identity crises and chaos cannot snatch you out of my hand. This is really a message for today, as well as for that walk in Solomon's colonnade back in Jesus' day. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, I love that you, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I, I just- No, go ahead. I was just going to comment Pastor on Beck. The, It's not all me. Good night. <laughs> I was just going to say how, how wonderful it is, uh, President Newman, that you pointed out that being known by Jesus, 
how how amazing that is. Um, in our New Testament class, we're walking through uh, Paul's epistles right now. And uh, about a week or so ago, we were in Galatians 4. And I love how Paul uh, sort of even as he's writing the letter to the Galatians, he corrects himself. He says, but now that you have come to know God, oh, I mean, but now that you have come to be known by God, hmm. isn't that a wonderful way of just kind of like, let's think of it in this term, because it doesn't really matter. I mean, you know, even the demons know that there is a God. Okay. But to be known by God, for God to know your name, for your name to be written in his book, you know, of life from before the foundations of the world. I mean, that's really something that's, you know, you know, you ask for where is, where is their comfort in this? You do not believe because you are not my sheep. Well, I think that f the, the comfort is right here. It's right here. Yeah. I just, I just want to comment on that point real quick. No, I appreciate that. And Pre President Newman, I was going to ask you more because I know you're there at Faith Lutheran High School for the Writers Roundup, and several of your your books have to do with Christians grieving. And and as Pastor Beck mentioned, you know, a verse like this really hits home at the time of death. And so I, I just wanted to hear your thoughts on a verse like this in the process of of a Christian grieving, knowing that you've written about that. Talk about the how a verse like this can help Christians grieve with hope. Yeah, thanks for asking about that. And it's so true. The first, the first blessing, the first uh, gift of grace in grieving is the voice of Jesus. In our silence, in our dust and ashes, in our hurt and pain, here we have a Savior who speaks up and speaks into the silence of grief that's just shut us down. And so his voice uh, through his word, through the word of life, through the gift of eternal life and the great hope of a reunion in heaven and the blessing of the resurrection. I mean, isn't it great that when we're laid low, Jesus speaks up and he lifts us up and uh, and he knows us. So he knows every little corner of our heart. Uh, he knows what it is to grieve. He's walked in our shoes and we hear the great verse in Hebrews that Jesus truly understands us. He's been everywhere we've been. So this is just a tremendous verse, I think, for someone who's been shocked and hurt by grief, that it, Christ still speaks when we're silenced. He knows us and he leads us and picks us up as a good shepherd. I know that a lot of the, um, a lot of the, the, the audience who are uh, Holy Cross members uh, will find this as something of a surprise, but uh, there are times when, uh, when I, even as, you know, in my, my office as a pastor, am at a loss of words, uh, especially in a difficult, you know, hospital visit, things like that, when death is drawing near. Um, and I think that's what death tries to do to us, is it tries to take away our words, um, which is the perfect time to open up a Bible and to share not my words, because who am I? share Jesus's words. He's, he's the, the shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep and then takes it back up again. That's right. And even the Holy mm -hmm. Spirit intercedes for us with groans too deep for words so that knowledge, Christ knowing us is so intimate, his right. spirit knowing us that that intercession takes place in the deepest places. And I'll tell you, uh, you know, the gift of eternal life and never perishing. Uh, my wife and I were at the bedside of her mother just on December 23rd when her mother breathed her last. Mm. And, you know, it's something as a pastor, I have walked with many, many people through uh, illness, through death, uh, through sudden death. But to be there as a family and to know the absolute comfort of the resurrection through Jesus Christ, yeah. what 
a blessing that cannot be replaced. And it makes it, again, it motivates us to say, we want everyone to know this gift that reaches the most impossible places, uh, the gift of the resurrection, eternal life. Even hardened hearts like ours. (laughs) Yes, breaks through. God be praised. Yeah, the the comfort of Jesus' words there is only strengthened by the way that he finishes. So no one can snatch them out of Jesus' hand. And oh, by the way, you also can't snatch them out of the Father's hand because of this unique relationship Jesus has with his Father. So we got about three minutes here on the morning. Help us into these last verses, because this is a really important thing that Jesus says. Pastor Beck, get us started. I thought we had another hour. Something like that. (laughs) So when Jesus says, I and the Father are one, um, that's the plain answer that they were looking for. Keep us in suspense no more. When Jesus says, I and the Father are one, we need to see, first of all, that it is in uh, in mission and in uh, in will. Jesus comes to do the will of his Father. Uh, but I think we can also extrapolate from here. Uh, Jesus is going to, I mean, he has been claiming now for the entire book, I am the Son of God. And every time that he pulls out those words, I am, that is pointing to the fact that he is God, Yahweh in the flesh incarnate, um, and he is here for our good. So when he says, I and the Father are one, we read that as words of comfort. We read that as words of doctrinal uh, statement that says he is of the same essence, of the same nature of God, very God of very God, we might say. Oh, the word became flesh, made his dwelling among us full of grace and truth. And here it is. Here's an exclamation point that Jesus not only moves into the character of the father, which heck the father can be a little foreboding, right? If you know the Old Testament scriptures and here we have the, the shepherd of the sheep, no one snatching us from his hand. And hey, guess what? I'm showing you who God is. I'm showing you who the father is. And one of our professors used to say, if you want to know, you know, what, who God is, just look to Jesus, right? And he'll, he'll give us exactly who he is. And no one can snatch us out of the Father's hand. And then I and the Father are one. Uh, a clincher for the beauty of salvation. Also, the, the uh, personhood of Christ, because that, oh, yeah. that one, that word one is a neuter word singular. So this is this is so beautiful when it comes to the doctrine of the person of Christ, one entity with the Father, and it just punctuates that. So just not only great teaching, but right to our hearts exactly what we need. Teaching filled with comfort. Mm, amen. Yeah. We have about a minute left on the morning. The music's oh. going to start playing. So Pastor Beck, just talk <laughs> us to the music. Give us the, the good news from this text. Okay, so the good news for this text is that Jesus remains your good shepherd, uh, is the fact that he is here to do what the Father has sent him to do. Um, You know, to lead into uh, Monday's uh, show, the Jews are not going to be happy about this. And this is this is the story. This is uh, what must take place is that Jesus's words bring offense to the people who do not believe. And so what are they going to do in verse 31? Well, they're going to take up stones to throw them at him until they kill him. Right. His time has, of course, not yet come. But this is the trajectory of John's gospel is Jesus is going to continue to reveal to all of the people who he is. Uh, Many will reject him. They will put him on the cross. But that's actually his victory. That's actually where he brings forth this life for you and for me, uh, for you, dear listener. What great joy it is to know our good shepherd, Jesus, that he is one with the Father. Pastor Dustin Beck is pastor at Holy Cross Lutheran Church in Warda, Texas, and President Mike Newman of the Texas District of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod have been our guests today. 
They've been helping us to study John chapter 10, verses 22 to 30. Gentlemen, thank you so much for helping us to study God's Word this morning. Thank you, Pastor Apple. It's a pleasure. Yeah, this has been fun. I am your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. If you have any questions about the Gospel of John, comments, we'd love to hear from you. Please send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. It's always a joy to be with you. Thank you to our live studio audience there in Warda, Texas. It's been a great joy to see you and to listen. I pray that this has been a blessing to you. Talk next week.